You're listening to the E-Commerce Excellence Podcast with Joris Brion. Hey, this is Joris of the E-Commerce Excellence Podcast. And today I'm really excited to talk to Stephen Session. Uh, Stephen is the co-founder and CEO of Zero Shoes. And uh, by the way, Zero, that's with an X, so X-E-R-O. Um, Stephen started with Zero, I believe, about 10 years ago. And he managed to grow the business uh, constantly about like 80% a year. And that's quite impressive, so I'm uh, pretty sure we'll uh, get some very valuable insights today. Hey, Stephen, uh, welcome to the E-Commerce Excellence Podcast. Really happy to have you here. Thank you, thank you. Well, let's see if you're still happy when we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I, bet, I bet we will. Um, yeah, maybe just to start off, um, I'd, I'd love for you to tell everybody a bit about your background, um, where you come from in your career, uh, so that they can understand a little bit more about you and how you got started in e-commerce and got started with uh, Zero Shoes and how you got to this point. Okay, so where did I come from? All right, <clears throat> I didn't think I'd have to explain this, but when a mommy loves a daddy very much... <laughs> <laughs> then <laughs> never had to go back that far. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, I guess, or more accurately, I've just never had a job and uh, it never occurred to me to get one. It didn't seem like it would end well if I did. And so back in 1992, I invented what became the industry standard word processing software for film and television writers. And uh, because I was just interested in finding ways of selling it, I got actively involved in internet marketing before there was practically an internet. In fact, literally before there was an internet, now that I think of it, I was selling things via IRC on uh, GeoCities and AOL and CompuServe and Prodigy. And then as the internet evolved, I started uh, doing that back in 90, I guess maybe 93 or so, 94. Um, I was having people write HTML for me while I was doing the, the design. And then I started writing my own HTML and building out websites. Uh, so that's how it all began. And I have uh, I was one of the first guys who figured out SEO back in the days when it was really simple. You just did a bunch of on-page things like hiding keywords and white text on a white background and did a, read a few articles and that was all you needed to do really. Yeah, right. But even that was pretty, was pretty black hat at the time. Uh, and so what happened, let's see, somewhere along the way, um, my wife and I ended up being able to be retired for a while. We had done some clever investing and had done some things with some internet businesses that were throwing off some passive income. And then in 2009, um, I'll abbreviate the story dramatically. I had had this little hobby where I'd been making these minimalist sandals, basically just a sandal design based on some 10,000 year old idea. And a guy says to me, I'm writing a book on barefoot running. And if you treated this little sandal making hobby like a business and had a website, I would put you in my book. And so I rush home and I pitch this idea to my wife and I'm thinking how brilliant it is. And she tells me that I am totally wrong and it's a horrible idea and I shouldn't do it. And so um, I waited till she went to bed and built a website and it just took off. Uh, so that was the, uh, that was the fun part. Um, the, and uh, for the first few years, all we were selling was a do it yourself sandal making kit. But what's evolved over time is we went from just funky little hippie kind of sandal making kit company to a full lifestyle brand where we sell performance and casual shoes and sandals for people who want to do everything from taking a walk to running ultra marathons. And the fundamental premise of what we do is simple. Your feet are designed to bend and move and flex and feel the world. And our shoes let you do that with a nice wide toe box, low to the ground for balance and agility, super, super flexible. And the soles let your feet actually feel things while still giving you the protection that you would like. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, 1992. <laughs> That's uh... yeah, way back when. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be hard yeah. to uh, talk to an e-commerce entrepreneur with more well, uh, online experience than you. <laughs> well, in, in fact, it's one of my favorite things when people call me and they try to sell me on some some you know marketing project or whatever the hell they have, yeah. um, the, and and they clearly have been trained to sell their product to people who don't really understand internet marketing very well. Uh Um, The number of times where I get to say to someone, Hey, um, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. So, (laughs) you know, that's very, very fun to do. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So um, maybe just for people who are not really familiar uh, with uh, barefoot shoes, um, you already touched upon it a little bit, but can you explain why it is so beneficial to, um, to wear barefoot shoes. Well, <laughs> you know, it's funny for the for the ten thousand. We we know humans have been making footwear for about ten thousand years. Mm-hmm. I'm sure before that, but the earliest recorded uh, piece of footwear that we that people have found is about ten thousand years old. In the first nine thousand nine hundred and fifty of those years, all footwear looked like what we do. It's only the last fifty years that people have come up with padding and motion control and arch support and and all these things that I, I don't know how, any better way to describe it other than that it's complete bullshit. And mm-hmm. I say that for a number of reasons. One, it's true. Um, the other is when you ask the people who own these multi-billion dollar footwear brands, where's the evidence that what they do is in any way beneficial, has in any way ever improved performance or reduced injury compared to what people were wearing in the 60s? Uh, they have no answer. And the simplest thing I can say is, again, your feet are designed to bend and move and flex and feel. If you squeeze your toes together, which is what most shoes do, um, then your feet can't function naturally. You can't actually use your arch. If you elevate your heel, it messes with your posture. Or if you're running, it messes with your gait and makes it so that you end up landing on your heel with a relatively straight leg, which in addition to putting braking forces, so it slows you down every time you land and you have to re-accelerate with every step, it also sends an impact transient force spike, a giant spike of force through your joints. And there's a lot of research that shows that that can cause uh, neosteoarthritis and hip pain and back pain as well. Mm-hmm. If you, um, it, when you, well, let me, let me actually describe the evolution of it because it's kind of fun. So some guys who were in the same building as Nike way back when, they were physicians and they said to Bill Bowerman from Nike, you need to elevate people's heels with padding because they've been wearing higher heeled walking shoes. Now they need higher heeled running shoes. Otherwise they're going to have Achilles problems. And so Bowerman did that. Now the problem is these um, doctors have later recanted and said they pulled that idea completely out of their butt and there was no evidence for it whatsoever. And it was the biggest mistake they've ever made. But here's what happens when you add padding under your heel. Again, it changed your gait so you end up landing on your heel um, that's part one and when you do that your heel is a ball so it's unstable so suddenly mm-hmm. they need to add motion control and if you land on your heel when by the time your foot comes in contact with the ground fully your plantar fascia the bottom of your foot essentially is fully extended and when it's trying to contract so think about doing a biceps curl you're strongest when your arm is bent at about a 90 degree angle, a little less than that actually, but mm-hmm. weakest when it's at fully extended. Same thing with your feet. When your foot is fully extended, it's weak when it's actually using the arch is when it's engaged and you can't engage the arch when you land on your heel and your foot comes down flat. So that's when they suddenly had to build in arch support to make it so you didn't have to use your feet. Now, what this means is that this motion control and arch support is keeping your feet from moving naturally. Well, we know that if you keep something from moving, it gets weaker over time. We know that to stay strong, you have to use it naturally. Now, this weaker over time, for those of us who are relatively young, anything between, you know, zero and 80, (laughs) you know, we don't really think about the long-term consequences of weak feet. 
but I'll tell you a simple story. My dad, who was in shoes his whole life that didn't let his feet move naturally, he was 80, almost 81 years old, um, shuffled as he walked, tripped, fell down, broke his hip, and died two weeks later. Oh, wow. Now, I'm not saying that if you wear regular running shoes, you're going to fall down, break your hip, and die. Mm. But I will say that, again, tell me some other situation where it makes sense to not use, to immobilize some part of your body when it's designed to be used, to be a moving sensing device that helps you balance, that helps you orient, that helps you move efficiently, that gives you that feedback that you need from the sole of your foot to do all those things. There's mm -hmm. never been a situation where, where that makes sense and it doesn't here as well. Yeah, it gives you feedback and it, they give you your feedback, basically. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of barefoot shoes and, and uh, I, I feel a big difference uh, when I have lower back pain and I put on barefoot shoes and I go for a walk. I have a, a considerably less back pain than uh, when, I have, when I'm wearing regular shoes. So anyone who has back pain, I can definitely recommend barefoot shoes. But anyway, we're here to talk also a little bit about your uh, e-commerce, right? Um, and, and I already mentioned it in the introduction. Uh, you've consistently grown uh, your e-commerce over all those years. Uh, what do you believe are like the main keys to grow in e-commerce uh, in today's environment? And I know it has changed a lot and you've been around for a long time, but like today, right now, what, in, in your opinion, what, what are the keys to grow in e-commerce? Oh boy, it's really simple. Um, it, it's find out where people are already talking about what you're doing or, or, or you can get in front of people who are hip to what you're doing and just uh, get in the way, <laughs> basically. <laughs> you know, Participate in the conversation. Okay. Uh, if you're doing it on social, you wanna be providing value to people without necessarily selling. And if you're trying to sell, you just wanna get in front of people who are interested in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Um, and uh, what do you think uh, makes some people successful and other ones struggle in, in e-commerce? Oh, man. Um, boy, you know, I, I'm going to answer that question in a weird way. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I'll just give it an answer that people aren't going to like. There's no answer to that question. Now, okay. let me say why I say that. That question is like one of the fundamental things that human beings do with almost every thought they have is we try to predict and imagine, or we try to imagine a future where we will have what we think will make us happy. And we try to reverse engineer it and see what we need to do to get there, often by looking at other people who we think have gotten what we've gotten and who we think we can imitate. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem. The, um, the imagined future where we think we'll be happy, the odds of us being correct that that's going to give us what we want is about zero. <laughs> the, yeah. the odds that it's actually some reproducible thing is about zero. We, we forget how bad we are at predicting how things will make us happy. We forget even more how bad that, that we forget how bad we are at it. So, and then we also think that we're magic and special that if someone else has gotten this thing that we want and they're not happy, we think, well, yeah, I mean, they didn't get happy from it, but you know, I will, if a million mm. people, got the thing that you think would make you happy and it didn't make them any happier than they were before or than you are now, we'd still go, yeah, but you know, if I got it, <laughs> which is what happens when, you know, we hear about lottery winners who aren't inherently happier and we go, yeah, but if I win the lottery and then we go play it. So similarly, like people sometimes ask me, you know, what entrepreneurs do you, do you admire? And, and I say, I don't really pay attention to entrepreneurs because I'm not whoever they are. I'm not um, we, we know there is only one Bill Gates. We know there was only one Steve Jobs. We know there's only one Richard Branson because there's never been someone who's copied their formula despite you know their best efforts to figure out what it is and reproduced it. Now, mm -hmm. there are some things that you can do that are pretty consistent. 
which is just a variation of everything I just said. Make a product that people like, get it in front of other people, um, and and leverage that by sometimes getting in front of people who get in front of your people. So you, you'll see, um, and there's actually one other thing. Um, how do I want to describe this? I'm trying to think of how to say it in, in the most obnoxious way possible. Um, <laughs> Human, because of this thing where we want to buy solutions to often imagine problems, if you're someone who can morally accept selling a product that 95% of people will never use or that 99% of people will never get the promised benefits from, you can make a lot of money by making those promises. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been true since, you know, the, the day, the first day anyone sold anything it's it's just as true online. You can sell a product that's going to make people lose weight, build muscle, make money, or all these things that we think will make us happy. And despite the fact that the odds of it working is, you know, fractional at best, you can make a lot of money selling promises to people. I just mm -hmm. find that somewhat reprehensible. Mm -hmm. No, and 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 I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, it's it's a very interesting uh, answer to that question. Um, but um, yeah, what I when I went to your site and and uh, I yeah was going over a, a few things there. What I really liked about about your brand and about the site in general is that it feels very personal. I, I think that's in line with what you just said. It feels almost like I'm buying from you and your wife directly. Uh, you also have a video on there that says like "Hello from the owners." And um, I'm not sure if it was deliberate or not, and I'm guessing it was um, uh, based on what you just said. It was. But it, 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 it feels very genuine, yeah. very authentic, and it makes you very uh, likable. Um, so this was intended, I, I assume, yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, trying, to, I wasn't trying to make myself likable. I don't even know that means, <laughs> but, I, but I appreciate it. That's, that's very kind of you to say that you think that we are. Um, I think my wife is. I, I don't know about me. So she, the, it, we, how do I want to put it? Um, Hum when I first started the, the business, I really didn't want to include a lot about us uh, because I wanted to keep it independent so that if anyone was going to buy it, it was really kind of bolt on. They, would, they, they could take it over without having anything attached to it. Mm -hmm. But what happened, it was really kind of ironic uh, or, or, or a little unexpected. I was making videos back to my comment about, you know, the thing you should do is provide content or provide value. I was making videos that basically showed people how to how to steal my entire business, which, by the way, a number of people mm -hmm. have done. Um, I, I showed them how to, you know, where to get the materials to make my sandals, how to make the sandals. It was I just gave it all away. And uh, the videos that I made would have me at the very beginning, like for two seconds going, hey, I'm Stephen Sashin. And then it would be just 10 minutes of my feet. <laughs> and, and what I what happened was I'd be in, in public places and people would recognize me. And they and the way they responded, it made it very clear something that I knew, but I tried to avoid, which is people like relating to people Absolutely. rather than companies and organizations and things that are that are um, not um, uh, not really relatable. Yeah. And so now there's there are times where that's not the case entirely. But look, even with Apple. People are addicted to Apple, but the thing they really were addicted to was Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. And he just, you know, and, and, and Apple transcended him to a certain extent. So once I saw that that was actually, that was actually happening, we deliberately made the choice to be very personal. And we did it also for one other reason. We, how do I want to put this? Um, for us, customer service is a very important thing. And we know that as the internet has made people more and more anonymous, it has made relationships between brands and their consumers more and more annoying and difficult. And consumers think that, you know, you're 
just a, a faceless, nameless something who's trying to screw them. We wanted to make sure they knew there was real people, not just us, but our entire team, real people on the other end of that phone call, the other end of that email, and that if they had an issue or a question, they could talk to real people who really cared. Mm-hmm. And that was that was important for us philosophically. Um, we you know we we just decided to. Uh, what's the word, um, amplify that by making ourselves more present. And I also happen to be just an expert in this t- topic. And so I spend a lot of time ranting and raving about it. Um, and and that's, uh, that's a piece of the puzzle as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I think um, you, you're very successful at, at giving that impression to visitors on your, on, on your site. At least that's the impression I got when I uh, was going over it. I was like, Oh, okay. I, I'd really like to buy from them. And, and, and to be honest, that's also for me, I don't, I don't really like buying on Amazon because you're just buying stuff. Um, yeah. But just feeling that you buy from people who care, who are passionate about the product and who will help you out when you have a problem. Um, that makes all the difference. And uh, I, I think you guys uh, do a great job at that. Um, in, in terms of, of your um, marketing, you don't do much of your marketing in-house, do you? Um, can you explain a little bit what your um, philosophy is behind that? Oh, my, oh, my. Well, again, in the early days, it was really, really easy. Now it's gotten more complicated. Mm-hmm. And there are very few people who know how to do any one of the myriad things that are possible well. So we're, I'm, I've amassed a group of people that I've either known over the years or have met during the many years I've been doing this, um, you know, friends of friends, basically, who are really good at what they do. So we have a we have um, two Facebook advertising teams. We have a, a Google platform team. We have a someone who manages Amazon. Um, we've got um, uh, oh gosh, um, I've got to think of. We have an S, I've got an SEO team. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a social media team who does a whole bunch of different things. Uh, I've got someone who we, we had someone who we lost, frankly, who was managing starting to manage Pinterest, which mm-hmm. is a whole other universe. It's a platform most people don't understand at all. And then there's a lot of stuff that I do as well still. Um, but the biggest thing that I'm doing is since I just know the domain of internet marketing, I'm staying on top of everything that this, my, my team is, is doing and I'm feeding ideas at them and finding new things for them to try. And uh, so I participate in the conversation. I'm not just hiring people and letting them, them go. I monitor it carefully and and I'm an active participant in in the strategy as well. Um, but we don't do it in house simply because anybody that I would bring in house who doesn't already have the requisite skill set. And again, there's no one person who can do everything. So sure. either I'm bringing someone in house to do what I'm doing, putting it mm-hmm. together a team and managing it, or if I brought in someone to do a lot of the stuff that I'm currently jobbing out, uh, if they're smart enough to do everything really well, they're also smart enough to immediately quit and start a small agency. Sure. So it mm-hmm. better better for me to find people who've already quit somewhere else and started a small agency. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's an interesting take on that, and uh, yeah, many people don't think about it like that. Uh, but it, it makes sense. I mean, if you want to get the best results, that's probably uh, the best way forward. Um, well, it's like when I get, when I get a, pardon for everything when I, when I get yeah. approached by agencies mm-hmm. um, and they say, "Hey, we do everything," and I say to them, "Look, there's only a few people on the planet who are experts at any one of the nine things that you say you do, and mm-hmm. you don't have any of them working for you." So, mm-hmm. so. Why would I, you know, how can I possibly hire you? And they never have a good answer for that. <laughs> yeah, it makes total sense. Um, if, if now, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. If you were to start over again, um, what would you do differently? 
Boy, um, I've never been able to answer that question about anything in my life because Mm -hmm. if you look back at every decision you made and you look at it carefully, you were making the decision as best as you could based on the combination of circumstances and your own beliefs. So I I literally can't imagine that it would have happened differently. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, there's two things that I'm not good at. Um, future hypotheticals and past hypotheticals. <laughs> so, um, okay. so I, I don't, I don't know. Let's give that a question then. Maybe uh, something more <laughs> concrete, and, but related to it. What's the biggest mistake that you made or think you made? Well, you know, again, um, same yes. thing. Um, uh, everything we did was was based on some seemingly rational decision sure. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and I mean, I, look, we've lost millions of dollars. Uh, or I've lost millions of dollars as I've made millions of dollars. And, and, but I don't know anyone who hasn't done that. So um, let me see if I can think of a good answer for that. Um, not, oh, actually here's one, not buying every international domain that I could think of prior to appearing on Shark Tank. Okay. Uh, that was, that was something that um, never occurred to me to do. And as soon as we, uh, we aired on Shark Tank, uh, a whole bunch of people started squatting on domains of mine and I had to, um, I had to uh, um, do various things to get them. Actually, related to that, here's the biggest mistake I ever made. I go to a trade show one day and I see one of my multi-billion dollar competitors uh, using my trademarks. And I flip out and I call my attorney and he goes, well, you don't know they're really using them. Dude, I'm looking at a million dollars worth of artwork on their booth using my trademark. Um, Trust me, they're planning a massive campaign using my content. And and, uh, he tried to talk me out of it and I said, send them a cease and desist letter. So we sent them a cease and desist, and the mistake that I made is that I sent it too quickly. So mm-hmm. by the time the, the short version of how this all went down is they eventually were able to pull out and stop using my mark. And they sent me a very funny letter saying, you know, oh, kind of whining, it cost us $7 million to stop using this trademark. And I said, well, you could have had the trademark in my entire company for $5 million, so I don't really give a crap. But the mistake that I made is if I had waited – for two more weeks, or if I had waited till they actually had product on the shelves using my trademark, it would have been a lawsuit worth five hundred million dollars. Ouch! But that, that, that's <laughs> so an that ultra hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, that so, one, that, yeah. Well, that was not a hypothetical. That's a, that's that's a, that's a real one. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because and and the reason just for the sake of it is because for trademark infringement you can sue basically for every penny that the infringing party made using mm-hmm. the mark times three. Oh wow so pretty sure that's not going to happen again uh, no i'll wait till it's too late <laughs> probably great um yeah so stephen this has been really great and and kind of philosophical at, at times um we could probably go on for hours like this uh, but kind of running out of time and i want to make sure people know how they can find you uh, and learn more about you um what's the best place for people to connect with you uh, brunch on a Sunday morning at the Parkway Cafe in Boulder. But other than that, um, uh, you, can, you can find me at, uh, as you said, at the, the top of, uh, of our chat at Zero Shoes, X-E-R-O Shoes, plural.com. And if uh, if your your browser decides to do a, uh, a typo autocorrect and do Z-E-R-O Shoes, that'll redirect to us anyway. So that's the easiest thing. And then there's contact info there. You can find me, uh, find me that way if you need to find me directly. And there's also, um, we're pretty active on social as well. So pretty much at Zero Shoes or slash Zero Shoes at every social platform you can think of. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Stephen. Uh, it's been really great. All right, cheers. The E-Commerce Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Dexter.agency. 
we help e-commerce business owners scientifically increase revenue without needing more traffic. Ready to discover a more reliable way to increase conversion and, more importantly, revenue? Register for our free training, The 5 Transformations That Double E-Commerce Profits, at dexter.agency webinar.